Shall we pray? Let's welcome the Holy Spirit, and uh, he is the teacher. He is the revealer of truth. He will help us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We worship you together with God the Father and God the Son, and we want to say thank you for the many ways you help people everywhere all over the world to turn to Jesus. And Jesus told us you were the reason people did that. He said, you, you're the one who bears witness of him, and you reveal the truth about him, and boy, you point people to him, so thank you. And I, I would like your influence. Help me to communicate, please, um, well, uh, clearly, uh, biblically. Help each of us to hear whatever you want us to hear and, 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 and discern and test and, and receive in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? amen. We, we, are, uh, we have just created a group at Life Church called the Preacher's Roundtable. We have a handful of people uh, in, that, in the preaching rotation. You'll see some more additional faces aside from Nicholas and me from time to time. And we've been meeting together once a week. And whoever is in the rotation to preach for the following Sunday, we help that person prepare. So if you don't like what I say today, blame them. Blame them. Honestly, though, I want to give them credit because uh, I have a, a lot of, I've had a lot of great input, input from the people on that team. So today we're talking about uh, a remedy for accusing thoughts. Anybody ever have an accusing thought? Some of you might want more clarification. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the kind of thought that tells you something negative about yourself that influences you to think less of yourself, maybe even influences you to lose heart in life. And you, you can identify them by the symptoms that they produce. They can produce confusion, even torment, a sense of mental anguish. They can demoralize you. It can even lead to depression, and all of these things undermine your confidence. Most of us need more confidence, not less of it. How common are they? They're universally experienced. A national foundation study found that most of us have between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. I, I watched or looked at some disputing Statistics, some that said, no, not anywhere near that, but a lot of credible resources said, no, it actually is way up there, that many thoughts a day. And then up to 80% of those thoughts are negative. And, and worse, up to 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. And that's a lot of repetitive negative thoughts rattling around in our brains. Is your mind a busy place? Some people are just chilled. I knew a really chilled person. I said to her, you know, I'd really like to change, just if I could change brains with you for 60 seconds. She said, I would never do that. I wouldn't want to live in your brain for 30 seconds. I said, I don't blame you. Is your mind an unfriendly place? What kind of accusing thoughts have you had? Some commonly experienced negative thoughts are these. I'm not strong enough. 
Basically, the not enough thoughts are not strong enough, not smart enough, not competent enough, not good looking enough. See, that's what I miss about getting hammered, guys. See, when I got hammered, I, I was smarter, I was tougher, I was stronger, I had a better athletic career, I was also deceived. Okay, so that didn't go over so well. Let's, let's keep moving on. Other negative thoughts, I'm a failure, or I can't do anything right, or I'm a burden, I'm a burden to others. I'll never be free of this addiction or, or this mental illness. I was so heartened this week to learn of someone who was miraculously healed, another person, a second person that was miraculously healed, not, not in this faith community that I'm aware of, um, of paranoid schizophrenia. I, and, and in fact, one of the people that I, was a, someone I read about in a book called I Prayed God Answered by a pastor in Southern California, and uh, he had a son who went off to college, and at the age of 19, he came back, he was completely off the rails. He was eventually diagnosed with a form of schizophrenia. He was institutionalized. A whole team of doctors treated him, and he felt so hopeless, he became suicidal himself, this pastor who was the dad. He didn't know what to do. And he'd heard about a woman named Agnes Sanford who was known to pray for people, and she was still alive, actually, and she lived nearby. They lived in Southern Cal. He got her contact information, and he reached out to her, and he, he, he told her about his son. He said, would you, is there a chance you'd see him? She said, yep, bring him over. So she welcomed the two of them into her home. She asked him to sit in her living room while she met with the son in, in her study, Spent a few hours there. The dad is just sitting there wondering what's going on. They come out. Doesn't look like anything's changed. She said, well, we had a nice time. I prayed for him. We'll keep you in prayer. Off they went. He returned his son to the institution. Weeks passed. He's contacted by the team of doctors who's treating his son. And they said, we don't know what's happened to your son, but um, we can't find any proof that he has this this." paranoia, the schizophrenia anymore, taking him off of all meds. He's discharged. And this pastor wrote about this as if this were, this were a miracle, and it sounded to me like one. Well, I happened to be talking, right after I finished the book, I happened to be talking to a buddy of mine in Southern Cal. I said, do you know the, the, the story? Do you know about this book? He said, well, actually, yeah. He said, I went to a seminary with one of the sons of that father who wrote the book. Not the son the book was about, but he said, I know the family. I said, was this a Bible standard miracle? Was this a legit miracle? He said, oh, Kevin, absolutely. I said, how is that guy today? Now, this would be 50 years later. He said, Kevin, he's doing great. He said, wow. You know, that, that hit the refresh button on my hope. And then I was told this week about someone else who was healed in recent days of a mental illness. Now listen, I don't want to give false hope and I don't want to give false fear. The truth is, we tell people that addiction and mental illness, that they're a life sentence. We tell them these things are incurable. A Christian should not have that word in his vocabulary or her vocabulary, shouldn't be there. With God, all things are possible. 
one of the accusing things you'll hear is, it's hopeless, you're helpless. Or maybe you think, I'm a poser. I've wondered that about myself. I've wondered, am I the, a, the, the real deal? Am I a legitimate Christian, a legitimate follower of Jesus? Or am I just a fake? Am I a pretender? Am I a phony? Sometimes you hear things like, I don't deserve to be happy, or I'm a disappointment in my family. Maybe you are. Maybe this is crushing you. I'm always letting people down. Maybe you've got a job that's an embarrassment to you, something you never thought you'd end up doing. You tell yourself, I'll never amount to much. You know, thoughts are powerful, aren't they? They're so powerful that if you believe them, they materialize. Did you know that? That, that, that idea is biblical? The Bible says in, in Proverbs, as a person thinks, so is he or so is she. It's the power of belief. Not just thinking, but believing what you think. Where do these thoughts come from, these accusing thoughts? Well, lots of places from what we can call old tapes, right, that play endlessly, especially influences from authority figures. And also, these, these thoughts or beliefs about ourselves can come from warped societal or cultural uh, values, like you are what people say you are, or you are what you do career-wise, professionally, or you are what you achieve, or you're never gonna escape your history. Your history defines your destiny. Is that true? Not if you're a new believer, a new, a new creature in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, everything's been made new. Sometimes these thoughts come from traumatic events. Sometimes from things like verbal abuse physical abuse, sexual abuse, injustice. Don't underestimate the traumatizing effect of those kinds of things. Sometimes they come from uh, perfectionistic uh, expectations, unrealistic expectations, sometimes imposed by perfectionism in others. I, I know a guy quite well. He was a very good high school basketball player. He uh, scored a high school record 47 points in one game. His dad came to all of his games. He, he had a chance to win the game for his team, and the shot he took when the buzzer sounded just missed. He scored 47 points, but his dad, the only thing his dad had to say was, you missed the shot that could have won the game for your team. And then there's another source of some of these thoughts, what we might call social comparison. I worked with a woman, a, 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 a pastor, very attractive woman actually, by most people's assessments. Didn't have a great self-image, but her, her, she took her value from Jesus, but she said part of the reason she always questioned her, her attractiveness was her mom would say to her, you know, honey, when you're taking a picture with your friends, don't, don't stand next to the prettiest girl. You don't want to be judged by your comparison to the prettiest girl. I, I'm, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Mom, you weren't helping your daughter there. 
Sometimes these thoughts come because we've just been bullied, we've been told things by bullies, we've been harassed. Sometimes they, call, they come from the evil one. Jesus, Jesus said there is a devil. There, there is actually a, a ruler over the, what, what the Bible acknowledges is the kingdom of darkness. There's a dark kingdom. And there's a ruler over that kingdom, and his name is, is Satan. It's actually, it's a word that means adversary or even accuser. And it's actually become not only a title, but a name, a name for him. And Jesus called him the father of lies and a murderer. He's also referred to in Scripture as the tempter, the deceiver, the serpent of old. And he comes to steal, Jesus said. Jesus said this. He says he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to mess you up. You are his target. He's got agents assigned to you. They're called demons. And he's got, he's got dark influences, sub-agents of him. Vice rulers, you could call them. Executive rulers who rule in regions, they're called principalities. And they have influence over the demons. And, and every person, it seems to me every person is assigned at least one demon to observe that person, to harass that person, to see what the effects of that demonic harassment will be. Satan himself is called the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. Paul tells us we've got to be ready for spiritual warfare. There are unseen forces. He says they're in heavenly realms. The Bible talks about heaven in three ways. There's heaven, that's the, the place where God himself exists. And then there's the heavens, the, the actual physical heavens with clouds and sunshine and so forth. But then there's a realm that we can't see where these dark agents function, and, and also God's agents, his, his angels also function there. There's stuff going on in unseen, unseen realms, and they influence human behavior. The job of these evil agents to accuse us constantly accuse us, it's made easier by hurtful life experiences. Negative thoughts, they can become so normal that we fail to question their validity, kind of like white noise, but their presence is effective at dismantling our identity and our destiny. If the enemy can cause you to question your true identity in Christ, he doesn't have to worry about you achieving your destiny. You'll never achieve your destiny if you believe the lies he tells you about yourself. I want to welcome you and invite you to invite the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who is more powerful than any of those agents. Invite him to help you to develop self-awareness and, and take an inventory of these thoughts. Is there a remedy? Is there recourse? Yeah, thankfully. We're not helpless. There's several things. One of them is inner healing. We've been talking a lot about a ministry here called Oaks of Righteousness. You can learn more, more about that. You go over to the welcome booth. 
We'll point you in the right direction. You can talk to any of the pastors. We'll tell you more about that. We'll hook you up. Therapy, professional therapy, is often helpful, especially if it's Christ-centered, rooted in Scripture. Therapy is beneficial. You might not believe this, but I am the beneficiary of therapy and inner healing. And those who know me well and have walked with me for decades have said, you are a better version of yourself than you used to be. I can tell. Some of them will say, I can tell, Kevin. You're a better version of yourself. Not perfect, but you're better. And improving. Don't you want to keep improving? Yeah. So inner healing, therapy, and then also the discipline of renewing your mind according to Scripture. Romans 12.2 says we experience transformation, not, not behavior modification, but real transformation when our minds are renewed. And how do you renew your mind? You renew it with the Scriptures, with the Word of God. You get the Word of God into you. You begin to evaluate and scrutinize your, thought, your thoughts through the lens of this. And you suddenly realize, you know, that's not from God. Like when you're overcome with fear, you've read 2 Timothy 1.7 and it says, oh, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. I'm rejecting that fear. Or you feel rejected. You feel rejected from a lifetime of being rejected and you read in Ephesians 1.6, I am accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted because of the beloved. Who is the beloved? It's Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm accepted in him, fully accepted, 100% accepted. Wow. The discipline of renewing your mind can't be underestimated, but that's not my primary focus this morning. This morning I'm going to focus on something I've never devoted a whole sermon to. I've been, I started preaching when I was 19, preached my first message when I was 19 in an Assembly of God church in Winona, Minnesota. And I don't remember ever, ever giving an entire message. So this won't be an entire message on this subject. But it'll be at least half of this message. And it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is, I think, the primary answer to thoughts of accusation and condemnation. Let me tell you more. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Some of you don't need it. I like history. I want to share with you a little bit about the significance of blood in Israel's history. You know this when you get into the book of Exodus, the second, second book of the Bible. God's people have been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And they're, they're languishing, man. They're, they're crying out, and God says, I hear their cry. I've actually watched what's happening to them, and he assigns Moses to lead them out. And he's doing all these judgments on the people of Egypt through Moses and Aaron to get the Egyptian pharaoh to finally lose his grip on, 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 on God's people so he'll let them go. And then the night before the final judgment, which is going to be the death of all the firstborn of all the Egyptians, including livestock and people, and it's going to be done by a destroying angel. 
And God doesn't want his people to suffer destruction, so he tells them through Moses, kill an innocent lamb, essentially a blemish-free lamb, and take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your house. And when that destroying angel is coming to destroy the firstborn of Egypt, it'll pass over you. And then we see, we see the development of an institution called Passover, which celebrates protection from wrath, from destruction, from judgment, and emancipation. Celebrates that. By the way, by the way, no extra charge. This isn't even in my notes. The Lord's Supper is given to us against the backdrop of Passover. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of emancipation. Later in Israel's history, after they were led out of Egypt and they, they took possession of the land, God said he was going to give them, and he was telling them commandments. They were taught that the application of the blood of an innocent and blemish-free animal provided protection from God's wrath and forgiveness for their sins. And interestingly, the New Testament comments on this, primarily in the book of Hebrews, from which we get our, our text today. The New Testament comments on that system. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews that that, that system was aimed to provide a foreshadowing of what God would accomplish through his Messiah, whose blood would redeem all the people who turned to God and protect them from judgment while ensuring forgiveness. You know what a foreshadowing is? So if I had, if I was, imagine that we're sitting outside in a courtyard in a, on a nice summer day, really nice summer day. You're sitting across from me. I'm sitting here. The sun is behind your back toward my face. And I got a cup of coffee here. I'm drinking coffee on a nice summer day. And we're talking. We're having a nice conversation. And the sun behind the coffee makes the coffee cast a shadow. And I look at the shadow, and it looks pretty much like the cup. But I know that the shadow isn't the cup. I don't reach for the shadow. I reach for the cup. The shadow, the shadow isn't the substance. It's the cup I want. God used these Old Testament sacrifices as types, as shadows, as what we call foreshadowing of what he was ultimately going to do through his son, which John the Baptist understood because when he saw Jesus, he said, look, or behold, look, the Lamb of God. Look, behold, the Lamb of God. He understood. This is a lamb. This person is himself a sacrifice. This Messiah, this Savior, he's, a, he's actually a sacrifice. Jesus' death, by the way, wasn't an accident of human history. It wasn't like, oops. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew the day would come when he would be handed over to people who thought of him as a false prophet. And he, because they were under Roman rule, he knew he would be crucified. He knew his blood needed to be shed to provide emancipation for people, 
to protect people from wrath and destruction. He knew that. He knew it was coming. And here's another application. And this is in today's text. The blood of Jesus actually testifies. The blood itself testifies. The passage that Amanda read, it ends with this. We come, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's speaking. God's blood speaks. And if you read the book of Hebrews, especially at one sitting, you'll learn that this blood essentially silences every accusation and satisfies every claim against you. It's important to say that again. It silences. The blood of Jesus silences every accusation. And it satisfies every claim. In other words, there's another word to say about the blood, the quality of the blood. It's sufficient. It means nothing else is needed to give us standing with God or to give us power against dark forces. Nothing else. That's it. And according, also according to the book of Hebrews, it ensures that we can come to God with confidence. It says, through the blood of Jesus, chapter 10, through the blood of Jesus, we enter the holy place. Through the blood of Jesus. Chapter four says we boldly come. We boldly come to the throne of grace to find mercy, to help in time of need. What gives us the right to come boldly? The blood. The blood of Jesus, guys. So when it comes to facing accusation and, and harassment from dark forces, our primary recourse is to present the blood. Now guys, I'm, I'm a pilgrim like you. I'm on a journey. I don't have all this figured out, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit. I'm gonna give you a little testimony. There's no such thing as a testimony without a test. Would you agree? Yeah. So I'm just gonna tell you that I never want to focus on dark forces. I always want to glorify Jesus and keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. But the truth is, there is no promise of God that I want to claim or you want to claim that's going to come to me uncontested by those dark forces. And I can tell you from experience that I have, I have had many assaults with dark forces. I had a nine, at least a nine-foot-tall dark agent manifest in my dorm room when I was in college. I don't know how much it weighed, maybe 450 or 500 pounds, the most terrifying thing my eyes had ever seen up until that time. I'm talking about it's the middle of the afternoon, a nice warm fall day, I'm reading my Bible, I thought I was minding my own business, and this thing appears and looks at me not only with contempt, but you know, it's like, I'm here to mess you up. And I knew all that. I'd been taught I was months old in my relationship with Jesus, but I knew I had the formulas down. Like, get away in the name of Jesus. But guess what? I should have put on my brown pants. I was so scared, I couldn't get a word out of my mouth. I was scared speechless. Now listen, I was a guy who liked to fight. I was a wrestler. I was also a fighter. Ah, liked to fight. I was scared, speechless. I remember seeking the Lord, and then the thing disappeared, thankfully. 
I had visitations like this for three days. And I said, God, I don't know, what is, what is going on? I don't claim to have the infallible ear, but sometimes I think I hear him. Now see, he reminded me about a week before. A week before I had pretty much issued a challenge to the devil, which is very consistent with my temperament and my Celtic history, my, my Celtic ethnicity. I said something like, you'll never get me and bring it on, baby. Now, you know, somewhere it is written, pride comes before the fall. So you can, get, you can guarantee yourself, hey, listen, guess what? You, you start walking with a swagger, uh, you can predict. You're going to get embarrassed. You're going to get embarrassed. And so I sense the Holy Spirit saying, Kevin, I just wanted you to see what you're up against, that's all. It wouldn't be the only such encounter I'd, I'd have. I had some of them in dreams. I had some of them again decades later in my house. I couldn't get those creatures that appeared in my house to leave. Even brought in the heavy, the heavy hitters from, from Life Church, including Delilah Norman and many others to pray through my house. Guess what? They didn't leave. They stood around, looked at me with contempt, gave me gestures that indicated they weren't that impressed with me. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm, I feel like I'm losing my mind here. And in that case, in that case, God showed me there was a sin I needed to repent of. It wasn't a sin I was consciously aware of. He showed me that I had contempt for my calling as a pastor. I won't go into this right now. It's too long a story. But over, you know, I, I, I really didn't want to be a pastor, you guys. I didn't, I didn't like being a pastor. It's like the worst thing ever. Except God called me to start a church. It was this church. And in the beginning, it was awesome. I got to do the stuff I feel gifted to do, but in the course of time, when you're a pastor, you're supposed to learn how to counsel and do budgets and handle conflict, and didn't like that stuff. And I said, God, anything else? Can I do something else? Still want to read the Word, pray, teach the Word, lead worship where I can. I'll do it as a volunteer, but I don't like this. In the course of time, I left vocational ministry. There's a lot more to this story that I'm giving you now. I didn't know I had a stinky attitude toward my ministry calling, but my brother Wally told me that I did. That's, that's literally what he said to me, verbatim. Kev, you need to pray about your stinky attitude toward your calling. And I, I probably, because I respected him so much, I probably said, I don't remember exactly, I probably said, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. Honestly, I think it went in one ear and out the other. God spoke to me through the scriptures and he gave me a scripture out of the book of Jeremiah and the scripture said, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. And I, and I began to pray into that, but that, upon that moment, I mean, at the beginning, that was their very beginning of, of this journey. I mean, almost immediately after Wally said, you know, pray about your stinky attitude, uh, these bad things happened. These creatures started showing up in my home. Happened for four straight years. I couldn't get rid of them. Nightly, I would be woken up with night terrors. I knew all the formulas. By this time, I could say the formulas. Get away in the name of Jesus. Nothing left. 
But then one day I'm sitting before the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what to repent of. You told me I need to repent. What do I need to repent of? And I heard him say, you have contempt for your, your calling. You have a contempt for my calling on your life. And in a moment I could, for some reason I was open to it, even though I wasn't open to it four years before when Wally said you should pray about your stinky attitude. I suddenly saw I have treated this like, I don't know what, a burden, a terrible burden I chafed under instead of a, 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 an honor. And I said, God, how could I be so blind? How could I be so arrogant? I'm so sorry. And in a moment, in a moment, I knew I was restored. And guess what? I didn't even have to say one word of rebuke. I didn't have to say leave to those things. They were gone and they've never come back. And that happened in 1990. They were gone. See, sometimes we leave a door open because we need to repent of something. But sometimes it isn't about that. But we need, we need others to help us to discern. And I had somebody like Wally, but I wasn't listening. But I'm in a better place today. And I'm still facing battles. I have someone I love very much who struggles with at least two mental health issues and a severe addiction problem. And at his, at his worst, he's, he's cruel, he's, he's violent, he's criminal, he does criminal stuff. And at his best, he's beautiful. And it, there's so much addiction in my family. Both of my brothers struggled with addiction. A sister struggles with addiction. My father, uncles, an aunt. This is not God's will. God doesn't will this. It doesn't happen because it's God's will. It happens because the devil is in charge. Even Jesus said that. He, Jesus called the devil the archon, the ruler of this world. The apostle John said the whole world lies under the, the control of the evil one. This stuff doesn't happen because God is causing it. There are other wills at work in the universe. There's demonic will. There's human will. Sometimes we see evidence of the divine will, especially when people get set free. So guys, I just want to tell you a little bit. Of late, of late, and I, and I, want, to, I want to say this well, but it's so hard to say it because at times it's so confusing. Sometimes you face afflictions that just flat out aren't from God. And you need to learn to fight them. And where do you get your fight when you don't have it? You get it from God. Now, how do I know this? The Bible says the Lord, he is a man of war. It says he rouses himself like a warrior. God is the baddest dude in the universe. No one else even comes close. His, the, his name is so powerful. It makes dark forces literally tremble. I gotta tell you, you are in a battle. And I'm in a battle. And we gotta ask God to help us to see that a lot of stuff happens, not just in the nation, not just in the world, not just in our neighborhood, but in our lives, stuff happens that, that we can stop. It doesn't mean life's gonna become perfect, but it'll become better. Don't you want a better life for people you can influence? Better life for yourself, your kids, grandkids, neighbors? Yeah, of course you do. 
So we need to ask God to help us in this. And I, that's where I'm treading lightly, everybody. I want, to keep, I want us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And sometimes it's also necessary to engage the enemy. Can we put that and in there? Both are true. Keep your eyes on Jesus and learn how to engage the enemy. And of late, I've been finding myself saying, God, I'm so overwhelmed at times by, by the things that are happening, some afflictions that we're facing that are so hard, so difficult, so demoralizing, and it seems like we don't have breakthroughs. And Lord, I've got plenty of formulas. I've been taught the formulas. And Lord, you know my tendency to put my trust in a formula, but I don't want to put my trust in a formula. I want to put my trust in you. So Lord, I come and with the best of my ability. I just want to say I come to you, the judge and ruler over heaven's courts, the Father of our Lord Jesus and his beloved Son and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the blessed trinity, the undivided unity. I want to come to you now. I'm asking you to render verdicts in my favor and on my behalf because of the blood, because the blood speaks, because it silences every accusation, it satisfies every claim. It gives me the right of access. I can come. I can come boldly because I'm your boy. I'm your son. I don't need anything else. Do you need anything else? Do you need any other identity? Do you got to be cool? You don't need to be cool to come with God. You need to be broken and to have your confidence in being a child, a beloved, simple, like little Clara. It's that simple. God, I come to you. I appeal to you without any merit on the basis of the sufficiency of the blood. And, 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 guys, test this. I'm not the final word. But I think this is from God. And, and address the dark forces. Something like this. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, I call to attention all you demons and your rulers, your powers, you spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms, and you who are afflicting me and my loved ones, and I start naming the people that they're afflicting. And I'll say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you, and I command you to cease and desist. And... And I loose against you the retribution and the fury and the wrath and the torment and the terror and the punishment and the judgments of Jesus against you. And I command you to go to that place he's assigned you. And you know what? I'm going to do it again tomorrow with God's help. With God's help, I'll be back. This guy who wasn't as strong as he was, 70 years old, doesn't know a whole lot. I'll be back. Because I care. I want people to be free. And I know you do too. And it's all on the basis of the blood. And I will often say, I do all of this because of the blood, the blood that speaks. It speaks for me. It's sufficient. I don't need anything else. I've got the blood. Does this make sense? I hope so. It might not, and that's okay. Just hold it before the Lord. Weigh it, test it. 
process it. But I, I think we got to fight, guys. I think we, we got to get all the inner healing we can get. We got to get the therapy that's necessary. We got to re- renew our minds with the scriptures, the mighty word of God, and we need to learn the sufficiency of the blood. And, and I'll tell you what, that'll be a game changer, but here's what I predict will happen. I predict this is going to happen. When you do this, you will get pushback like you've never gotten before. Dark forces will afflict you, and I'm not saying this to scare you, I'm saying it to prepare you, but remember, you've got to push back the pushback. Push back the pushback. Why, why did we get so scared of pushback? What happened to us? We get a little flack for doing something right, and we go, oh, oh, I'm not doing that again. How about ask God for some courage? Ask God for some strength. Ask God for some fight. You don't want McClure fight. You don't want Irish fight. That's nothing. That's nothing. You want Jesus fight. You want Jesus fight. Everybody can have that. Well, I need some more, honestly. You know, none of us knows how long we're going to live, but I have more hope than I've ever had to live a longer life, a longer life that is, you know, glorifying to God and miserable for the enemy. Like to really be somebody who, when he dies, the enemy says, I'm finally so glad to be rid of that guy. And then I hear somebody saying, you know, he's got kids. He's got people he served. They're, 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 they're more scrappy than he was. I'd like to see the enemy go, oh, no. Oh, no. Well, Lord Jesus, I hope you are glorified in this message, and I pray, Lord, that you will help us to become the warriors you want us to be who don't fixate on the devil. We fixate on Jesus while we also, when necessary, declare the authority of the blood of Jesus. I'd like the worship team to come on up, and I want to say, if you're a guest or you're watching online or you're a regular, the answer to everything is Jesus. So why not just say, Jesus, there's something about that name. I, I want to experience you. I want to welcome you in. I want, to, I want to be forgiven by you. I want to be empowered by you. And I want to just grow in you. If you agree with that, would you say amen?